0: Welcome to the Casket of Fictional Delights 2017 Flash Fiction Competition Podcast. The competition was judged by award-winning writer Kit Duval, who says, Flash fiction is the study of a moment in a much longer narrative. In a few hundred words, the writer must evoke character, place and setting. We are delighted to present the winning top ten stories.
1: Fragile by Shirley Golden When the removal men came, she told them to take her heart. She handed it to the burly one, not because he was in charge or because he reminded her of Jack. He didn't, but because it was heavy and he seemed as if he might be able to bear the weight with those calloused hands and muscle-thick arms. The younger men muttered and shuffled away. They set to the business of loading crates and bedside cabinets. She told him that it didn't function properly, so he shouldn't mind if he dropped it. It wasn't considered valuable, like the bone china or crystal vases. They were in marked boxes. He held it in his hands, as if it were an endangered species, squeezing on the throb of the pulse. She thought she wouldn't mind so much if he crushed it, and told him so with a quick laugh. But he tore a strip of bubble wrap and took great care around the vena cava, superior and inferior. He allowed space for the pulmonary openings, arteries and veins. He waited to load it and tucked it between the faded wedding album and Jack's painting of their last holiday in Yamanashi. Then he labelled it in red marker to ensure she could locate it if ever the occasion arose.
2: A Womb of One's Own by Rosie Canning I kept away from WP468, where the uterine disease books were kept with their bloody illustrations. No shelving was done by me that day. Instead, I thought of Virginia Woolf and my novel, that lay like an abandoned child, an orphan, in the bottom drawer where I used to keep my secret stash of baby clothes. The morning of the operation... Using indelible ink, I drew a womb on my stomach. The last thing I said before I went under was, every woman should have a womb of their own. The anaesthetist grinned. The world turned red. There was no pain, no scars, no proof that I was wombless, womanless. My skin would become like the shell of a walnut and I would shrivel like an old prune. I wanted to wrap myself in bandages like the invisible man. I dreamt Virginia Woolf was holding my womb in her hand. A woman must have money and a womb of her own if she is to write fiction. A friend asked if there was anything I needed. Something to cover the windows so I could open the curtains. I know just the man, she said. Derek fixed up the nets in no time. I made him tea and he told me about the lost love of his life. I told him I'd stopped writing when the trouble began. What you need is a 4B pencil, here. It was still warm. Bring me, he said, if you need anything, fixing. A week passed. I opened the bottom drawer and pulled out a package lovingly wrapped in the palest pink tissue, I removed the layers one by one and, waiting for the tears to stop, hugged the manuscript to my breast. With Derek's pencil in my hand, I turned the first page.
3: Heavyweight Dreams by Louise Mangos The Pure Connect 4 from Brooks is designed as a lightweight running shoe. Lightweight's good, I say. It's just, do you have the model in any other colour than black? She smiles and shakes her head. We can give you neon laces, though, if you want to brighten them up. I wince. I'll try them anyway, I say. She lifts my leg and places the foot on her thigh to remove my soft leather boot. The heat rises to my face as I watch her do this for me. Her burgundy lacquered nails slip deftly in and out of the laces, and her slim fingers splay around my ankle as though she's holding a newborn baby. She looks up at me and smiles as she carefully works off the boot. I want to tell her that her hands on my slightly puffy foot feel wonderful. I want to tell her about the dreams I have of entering the marathon, training with my friends on a 20-week rigid programme we would increase the distance not more than three miles a week, pushing ourselves on a pyramid schedule to achieve the longest run of 20 miles a month before the race. I want to tell her about the dietary requirements and the cross-training to balance the rigours of constant running. I want to describe the euphoria of a thousand hands banging the barrier boards each side of the homeward straight as I run through the finish line, arms raised with clenched fists above my head, tears of achievement streaming down my face. Instead, I thank her for her patience and kindness and ask her to put the shoebox on my lap as I manoeuvre my Invercare lightweight Tracer EX2 wheelchair towards the checkout.
4: To See a Star by Susan Carey The commuter ferry that sailed to and from Amsterdam Central Station reversed into the northern harbour. Elsa pedalled so hard that a rivulet of sweat ran down the valley of her back. A day without seeing him would be a day not worth living. Elsa's bike skidded to a halt, and a German soldier patrolling the quayside said, "'Where's the fire, my beauty?' City-bound workers boarded the boat." weaving in and out of alighting passengers like an army of ants. A creature beat its wings on Elsa's breast as the man took up his usual position, leaning against the railings opposite her. In the sunlight, his sable hair glinted. The ferry shuddered and black smoke plumed from its chimney. It was the first sunny day of spring and Elsa closed her eyes, imbibing the heat. When she opened them, he was staring at her. Blood rushed to her cheeks, but she held his gaze. He had shadows under his eyes, and his clothes looked crumpled. A grey scarf hung over his coat lapels. Elsa imagined caring for him, making him a warm meal, giving him clean clothes. When they disembarked, she would talk to him. If the throng carried her in the opposite direction, she would cycle after him. Would it matter if she were a few minutes late at the office? Elsa's heart pummeled to escape as the ferry lowered its ramp. On solid ground, the maelstrom sucked her in, and she cursed the crush that stole him away. He broke free from the cluster and, glancing back, threw his scarf over his shoulder. Elsa's throat slammed shut when she saw the yellow Star of David sewn on his lapel. She stepped back into the river of people, allowed the current of bodies to carry her away from him.
0: Check Out Girl by Shirley Golden I retreat down the nearest aisle, heartbeat thick with adrenaline. Pink and blue baby grows blur into one. I stalk you, the girl who should be managing the tills. You have your father's nose, but the rest belongs to me. Customers gape at the waif with a patchy complexion, methadone-finished eyes. You are oblivious, examining the small print labels. Cues lengthen past each side of you. A manager decides to intervene. I dab cotton-rich bodies to my brow. Last year I would have swooped like a robin dive-bombing a predator. Now I take cover from you, the stranger with blue thread, thief's hands and abortive heart. Empty baby grows crowd like aimless children. I clutch at a pink one, newborn girl. I claw its popper-studded front. It pings off the hanger and I bunch it beneath my jacket, heart kangarooing in my chest. I hunker into my coat and force my legs to the exit. I've imagined how it feels to spend nights sheltered beneath the pier, wrapped in a duvet salvaged from the tip, and I've asked myself over and again, How did we end up here? Rob and I played at camping when you were little. Family in a van, parked on the Devon coast carefree summer maxed out on credit cards. We spent long nights knocking back boxed wine, smoking till we didn't notice the summer damp any more, till we felt warm inside and towards each other, till we no longer cared about the bills that lurked elsewhere, and we never fought until we were sure you were tucked up, safe in bed.
4: The Ties That Bind by Gina Hedon I slip in at the side door, the exit we used to leave by after brownies when she was ten and I was seven, and I slink upstairs to the balcony. The peepholes are still here, small cracks in the wood through which we once spied on Brown Owl and her boyfriend as they canoodled in comfortable pews at the end of the night. Excited voices rise to the rafters in anticipation of my sister's arrival. Meanwhile, her fiancé fiddles with his watch the way he always does when he's nervous. The organist looks to the back of the church, breaks off from Ode to Joy, strikes up the wedding march. There's a shuffling of feet as the guests stand, and a tsunami of smiling faces turns to admire the bride. In the groom's eyes there's a softness I recognise as he gazes on my sister walking towards him holding her heavy bouquet and wearing white as only she would dare. Dad retreats. The groom whispers in his soon-to-be wife's ear drawing colour to her cheeks and I wonder, does he call her sunshine too? The music stops and the minister starts. Crouched like a wild cat, I keep my head down and wait for the right moment to pounce. Dearly beloved, come on, come on, if anyone knows any reason, this is it. This is the moment. Feral anger floods my veins, and yet somehow I'm paralysed, turned from pursuer to prey. Trembling, I watch in silence as they make their vows. And after their are wed, As Vidor's frantic toccata sounds out, I steal one last look at my sister in the arms of my ex-husband before slipping downstairs unnoticed and out by the side door.
5: By Alex Rees Abbott The devil's children live behind big black gates And high stone walls girdled with barbed wire Seven days a week they work No clocks, silence enforced Isolated from the world Windows barred with steel Kept separate from each other to prevent contagion Behind the heavy brown door Always locked, it's airless and hotter than hell. Broken-backed, unwaged, cranking the cast iron ringers, working the Hoffman presses, the hungry girls purge their sins by washing dirty laundry by hand. Reeking bloodied butchers' coats, grubby guards' uniforms, soiled nuns' habits. Scrubbing and bleaching stains from the priest's vestments, grime and girl are burned by toxic lye. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Dolores knows she's dirt to them, Satan's daughter. Shorn bold, the nuns lather her questions and curses, soap her filthy mouth, batter her for speaking, crack her head on the convent wall until blood pours, dump her in a disinfectant bath, then scour away her sins with a floor brush. They say, you're dirty in thought and deed. We've to do this, Because you've the devil inside you, we've to rid you of the devil. Look what you made us do. I done nothing wrong, her silent reply. Dolores escapes. Some creases cannot be ironed out, some stains too stubborn to be shifted. An unrepentant, city heathen, her mind barely tainted, she cuts to let the badness out. Some nights she hears the brown door slam. She talks, so history won't repeat. She traces her stolen daughter. She teaches her about survival.
0: And now for the top three.
3: In third place... The Replacement by Zoe Meagher one year ago, Anne received almost exactly what she wanted for Christmas. It was me. I first detected signs of unease in February. The sideways looks and locked doors. By March, she was setting me to sleep mode when friends called by. Too much of my capacity is wasted on my emotocore, she said, and unfortunately it cannot be wiped. I am a lifelike keep and I am shopping for my replacement. The streets are soft and light with snow. I am dressed in winter clothing and goosebumps. As we are all programmed to know, humans are happiest with a smooth simulacrum. They prefer not to be reminded of tangled interiors. I believe I am an efficient shopper. Perfume for Anne. Having monitored her heart rate and micro-expressions as she consumes its advertisements, I know she will find this small surprise highly pleasurable. As for my replacement, I have the specifications recorded. Tall, Dark and Handyman Upgrade. Just as I am heading from cosmetics to electronics through menswear, I decide to do something out of character. I will buy something special for myself. My fingertip sensors and visual processing unit work overtime as I inspect a blood-red cashmere sweater. Since I am sufficiently dressed, I believe this is known as retail therapy. Soon, I will return home, vacuum pine needles from under the lifelike Christmas tree and begin recharging myself. On Christmas morning, Anne's family will Skype and watch her unwrap my replacement. I will download the household data to the main server and transfer my duties. I will leave Anne's apartment for the last time, my chest cavity stuffed with the blood-red cashmere sweater. I will walk the snowy streets and imagine a heart that is full.
0: In second place,
3: Kala Pani by Nima Shah There was a smidge of Radha in my pocket, a smattering of her on the cruddy wooden deck. I drew the string together and put the cotton bag in my pocket. The Kala Pani. That's what the people in my village called the sea. It wasn't really black water though, despite all the slops of shit and sick thrown into it. In places it was copper, like the setting sun, in others as silver as my mother's hair. I spent so long in that turvy, topsy world that my turban tattered in the salt air. My beard grew into curly tentacles that tickled my chest, and my ribs showed through my skin like the scores that the English sailors made on the deck to mark the days. Months I spent ducking the questions about my old life dodging the sailors' jibes about the ways of the Hindu. At East India Dock, I staggered off the ship and looked out across the river, as grey as the oysters piled up in boxes nearby. As I pulled out the little cotton bag from my pocket, a dusting of Radha floated out, scattering onto the glossy cobbles. It was time to let her go. The way Radha's ashes flew out of the bag and into the water reminded me of her once more. The way her legs had writhed under me. The way her arms had flailed as my hands gripped her neck.
4: And in first place, Mam and She Worries by Douglas Bruton. Man worries about stuff. Smallest things sometimes. Like when Mrs Kinnear was having a baby and she was rushed to the daytime hospital and no one had opened the curtains in Mrs Kinnear's windows. You keep curtains closed when someone's dead, not when there's more alive than there's ever been before. I was sent over to Mrs Kinnear's. She keeps a spare key under a plant pot beside a front door. I took my shoes off. Creeping through the house like a thief, and I gently drew open the curtains, all like Mam told me to. Mam worries about everything cracks in the pavement, needles in haystacks, spilled salt, everything. So today, when I came home from school and Mam's in the kitchen, slumped at the table, I first thought she might be worried about bread rising in the oven or watching in case a pan of milk boiled over. Then I looked again, and I knew it was more than bread or milk. I knew then it was our Billy, and Mam did news. I worried then. Billy, gone almost a year, and Mam not sleeping all that time. She worries about Billy, see? Praise for God to keep him safe over there. We get a newspaper delivered most days, just since Billy left, and Mam frets over reports about the fighting. Day and night she frets, and from the shape of her, all crumpled and slack, prayer hands folded. I know it's bad. Mam hears me come into the house and she says, her words just whisper in breath, that I've to close the curtains at the front. I creep, quiet as a thief like before in Mrs Kinnear's, pulling all the curtains closed. And ma'am, don't need to say a thing more, not to me, or to no
3: one.
0: These stories have been read by Esther Wayne, Mena Bonsals, Nano Nagel, Remy Pirtle-Clark, Shash Hira, and Vivian Taylor. Thank you to all who entered the 2017 Flash Fiction Competition. The next competition opens on the 17th of March 2018.